You are going to be actually forgiven and you're going to be actually saved by Christ. That's an absolute claim. You do this and this will be the response. You trust in me even if you die, yet shall you live. That's the message of Christianity. And it's funny that I have to emphasize it so strongly in the modern era, I guess because people are so into their truth and subjective statements about, well, I have my truth, you have your truth, you have your religion, I have my religion, can't we just both be right? I have to emphasize something that didn't have to be emphasized quite so much, I suppose, in past generations, and that is that this is an absolute claim about an objective reality. It's also, as I've mentioned already, but let's just summarize it, letter B, it is an exclusive claim. It's an exclusive claim in that you can only be saved, you can only be forgiven by Christ. It's the only way. And I guess you could say, well, if it was an absolute claim, it would be much like in a sinking ship. You could say, well, here's a lifeboat, and it's an absolute claim. If you get in the lifeboat, you will be saved from the sinking ship. It could be an absolute claim, but not be an exclusive claim. But Christ gives us an absolute claim, and then he says, there's no other way off. There's no helicopter that's coming for you. There's no submarine that's going to pull up. You only have the lifeboat to get in, and that is the only way to get off of this ship. So it's an exclusive claim, and you can invert this and it's false, which are the passages I've given to you. You trust in him, you will be saved. You don't, you're going to have the wrath of God abide on you. You're condemned. You believe in him, you'll have eternal life. You don't believe in him, don't trust him, don't obey him. You are condemned. That is the very basic definition of an exclusive claim. It's not only absolute, but it's exclusive. You cannot be, in other words, saved without Christ. That is the biblical claim. And I guess 50 years ago, and I guess you could go outside of the realm of evangelical or conservative biblical scholars that have fudged on this long ago, but in the last 50 years, people within the realm of evangelical theology, guys that used to say, well, uh, Jesus is the only way, they would teach in seminaries and and say it very emphatically, uh, now have said just the opposite. And you've seen this move. You've seen as the absolute claims of Christianity, the hard edges, as I like to say, of the truth of the gospel, when those have been filed down, and as I've said and others like to say, when we've sentimentalized God as an emotional God, as an emotional dad who doesn't want his children to go to hell, that's how we see him. We can't imagine that God would allow this. We can't imagine that God would let the sincere Buddhist go to hell or the sincere and devout Hindu go to hell. Then all of a sudden we will say, well, maybe this is not an absolute and an exclusive claim. And many books have been written about this. It's uh, under the heading of inclusivism or universalism. These are the terms you'll find in books that are written about this topic. But We need to recognize there's really no wiggle room in Scripture, even though tomes have been written to try and prove otherwise. Uh, Everyone has understood this from the beginning of the New Testament. Uh, I say everyone, the core of people who take the statements of Scripture seriously. An absolute and exclusive claim of salvation being found in Christ alone. The only way you can be saved. Again, it feels funny to say that, but you need to say that in your evangelism And I think most people intuitively know that if you come with a Bible in your hand, so to speak, that they expect you to say that. And I don't think you should disappoint them. You need to say that. It's the only way to be saved is in Christ. It is an absolute and exclusive claim. Well, everyone's going to say, because we do want to emotionalize this whole thing, well, what about sincere people? And I just want to think this through from a logical perspective. 
Just like someone would say the correspondence theory of truth is a common sense view. I say the same thing about the reality of any absolute and exclusive claim. If it's authoritative and we can trust that it's coming from a reliable source, then we can say it doesn't make sense that you and I can differ about our acceptance of that truth claim and expect to have the benefit without going through the portal of the facts. In other words, I have to submit to the absolute and exclusive claim or I can't have the benefits that come with that claim. And I can believe something different, but I can't change the reality. And that works across the board in every area of life if you think it through as it relates to objective facts. No matter how ardent your belief is, no matter how strong your belief is, no matter how sincere your belief is, you cannot, by your simple belief, change reality. Objective reality is not changed by your sincerity. You can say about preferences that your ideas of what you prefer can change. Sure, you can say that all you want. You can prefer a lot of things in terms of what you dress, what you drive, what you eat, and you can say, well, I've had my taste changed through time. But you, can have you cannot have your taste changed about objective realities. I mean, you can, but it's not going to change those realities. Okay? So, options to believe are not equally beneficial. To say, well, I like having options because I like this more than that. I like this preference over that preference. You can say that about things that simply relate to your subjective desires. But you cannot say that options and belief about facts, you see, are equally beneficial. And that's what people say. When you say all religions are basically the same and all roads, leads to, all roads lead to heaven, which is the popular sentimental view of popular culture, uh, you've got to recognize that doesn't work in everyday life. We don't say that. And in the book I wrote, the first chapter on, the last book I wrote on, um, I think it was the last book I wrote at least, on 10 mistakes people make about heaven, hell, and the afterlife, I illustrate this with your, your potato chip aisle. You can go to your potato chip aisle and you can get whatever you want. And you've got all kinds of options. The options seem to be endless. And everyone is going to rally around their particular, I don't know if you rally around it, but you're going to have your particular brand that you like and you're going to say, this is what I like and I'm going to you know, ex exclude the others. And to me, this is beneficial to me and I like it and that's fine. If you're talking about your preference and your tastes, that's one thing, okay? Whether you're talking about corn chips, potato chips, cheese puffs, tortilla chips, pita chips, kale chips, whatever you like, endless options. But if you're talking about objective facts, the way things work, like for instance, what it takes for a human being to breathe underwater. If you say, let's go scuba diving. We're gonna go scuba diving and I'm saying to you, well, we're gonna go underwater. Here's the objective facts to oxygenate your blood. You're not designed to be able to breathe in water into your lungs, you need oxygen, right? If I say, great. The good thing is, I'm gonna give you lots of options, just like in the potato chip aisle, you can pick whatever you'd like to put in your, your, your tank. So in this tank, there's tear gas. In this tank, there's iced tea. In this tank, you've got hand soap. And in this tank, you've got oxygen. Isn't it great to have a lot of choices about scuba diving and how to scuba dive? You'd say, well, I, I don't like the choice in this case. I actually would like to have whatever is going to actually solve the problem. And if the problem is I don't have access to oxygen, underwater unless I have it artificially supplied, well, then you're going to say what I want in my tank is the thing that's going to be able to keep me alive. That's an objective reality. I don't want a lot of options. Matter of fact, I only want one option, the option that's going to work. 
And that's how people today fail to correspond that kind of simple illustration to religion. I want this religion, and I think it's going to solve my problem. And my problem, at least intuitively for most people, depending on how much of natural theology and natural revelation they're willing to adopt in their life, they're going to say, I feel like my, I'm guilty. I have a conscience problem. I feel like there's a God out there, and I, I want to make sure I'm right with that God. And I want a place that God has made that's good and not bad, and it's got pleasurable things and satisfying things and not disappointing things and corrupting things and painful things and suffering and all the things we talked about the last couple sessions we were together. Well, if that intuitively is pressing on someone's mind. They want to say, well, I want this option and I want to be able to solve my problems with this and you want to solve your problems with that. Well, you just make your decision. If that's a real objective problem, if there really is a God, if there's a thing called sin, if the conscience-stricken person really is responding to something that is really falling short of their creator's standard, well, then we have to say, what will solve that problem? There needs to be an objective solution to that problem. If you've got a problem and you need surgery, let's say your brain, you need brain surgery, and you've got to get brain surgery. I say, great, as I'm checking you in for your pre-op appointment, I say, we have some options for you. I've got a welder that can work on you. I have a lawyer standing by that can do your brain surgery. I've got a really great barista, got a lot of great skills, and then I've got a brain surgeon that can also work on your brain. I think everyone's going to know that they don't want choice when it comes to saying, well, I'm going to have a self-styled decision here. I'm going to have my own preference here. And my preference is I really like baristas. They're really nice. And I want that barista to work on my brain. You want someone who's going to apply the right solutions to the problems that you face. You don't want choice. You don't believe in those contexts in relativism that you can have what you want and I can have what I want to solve my objective problem in some subjective preferential way. We need an objective solution to an objective problem. And that's what Christianity is trying to claim. 